Welcome to Grandma Magic, a podcast from the Grandmother Collective. We are a nonprofit organization that supports and advocates for a world where a grandmother's power is seen, cultivated, and activated for positive change. The Grandma Magic podcast is an opportunity to learn more about the unique positions that grandmothers, aunties, and other older women around the world can play in advancing positive social development by talking to and learning from grandmother changemakers. We hope this series inspires you, brings you joy, and helps you recognize the enduring magic and wisdom that comes from grandmothers everywhere. My name is Lindsay Farrell, and I'm your host. Today, we'll be talking with Joan Holliday, a retired public nurse and tireless community organizer who I met at the Kennett Square Intergenerational Coffee Clutch in a tight-knit community outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are talking to Joan today because she has spent most of her adult life engaged in the business of community building. Today, we'll learn about the informal and formal approaches she has taken to ensure that all community members have an opportunity to thrive. One of her signature contributions has been with a program called Bridging the Community, a bi-monthly gathering to bring together people from different institutions to bridge and find ways to support. From launching after-school programs to providing volunteers at festivals to supporting local businesses, I can't wait to learn more from her today about what has inspired this journey to change making. Thank you so much for joining us, Joan. Thank you. I'm delighted. So to start, we find that almost everyone has a story of a grandmother figure that inspired them or provided a foundation for their life. Do you want to share yours? I sure would. I was very blessed to have two wonderful grandmothers. I grew up in a small community in northern Michigan, so it was very rural, and both of my grandmothers were first-generation residents in that community. I'll start with my father's mother. She got married very young at 16, but she was a go-getter. She taught school. She took some extra classes and taught school in a little country schoolhouse and then became a postal clerk, lost her husband in her 50s and very devastated, but she became her own person. She had her sister who also lost her spouse. So they decided that they, Babel and Adeline, were going to travel around the world. So they traveled and brought so much information, wisdom about life to our families because we were fairly isolated in a small rural community. She would have slides that she would talk about. So I felt like we had a teacher in our midst. She was also so much fun. And I felt like she didn't take on the job of parenting or correcting us. She took the job of delighting in us. And I have a twin sister. And when we were about 12 years old, she would, in the summer would always invite grandchildren to come and spend a week with her, even to go to the post office. And I'll never forget that on our bed, she had left this mum, M-U-M, deodorant and said, you girls now probably will want to use this. And that was definitely something that my mother would not have done. And it was just such a touching thing. She introduced us to Chef Borardee Pizza out of the box. We had never known what pizza was. She introduced us to celery. We had never tasted celery before. So she had this exposure and was always trying to learn about these things. When I was in high school, my twin sister, myself, and another sister, four years younger, we started to sing in three-part harmony. My mother was a piano teacher and a voice teacher, so we had a lot of music in our family. And my grandmother was so impressed with us, so she took us to a regional talent show 
thinking that she was going to showcase her granddaughters. And if we had won first place, we would have been on the Ted Mack show that was national, but we won second place. And we drove home with that award in our hands and just delighted. And she was so thrilled that she had taken us out beyond our little community. When we all graduated from high school, she would take us out for the day. And that's when I had my first drink, actually, with my grandmother. (laughs) So she was awesome. Then in high school, my parents wanted us to go to a Catholic high school, which was not in our town. And my other grandmother, Grandma Isabel, my mother's mother, had lost her husband. And so she said she'd love for us to live with her and go to school, go to high school. So I felt like we joined a friend group, not a grandmother group. She was our friend, and we had so much fun. We would play cards. We would giggle and laugh about just about everything. And if there was a decision to be made about going out with someone, she'd say, you have to talk to your parents. That's not my job. So they really taught me that grandparenting was really different than parenting. And it was that idea of affirming you for who you were. And Grandma Isabel was also a very, very social, loving person, very involved in her church. And taught me how you could take leadership, which she did in many ways in her own church community. So two wonderful grandmothers. One other wonderful story is that during the week, we wanted to see our family because my twin sister and I were away from our other four siblings. And so my grandma Adeline would drive down and pick us up with Grandma Isabel, and we would go to our home, and we would have dinner together. And They were a riot. On Halloween, they dressed up in costumes and they would come to the door and scare everybody. You know, they became like teenagers together. (laughs) So, So it was that idea of fun and yet commitment to life and to think about the bigger world was what I learned from them. Wow. They sound amazing. And how wonderful for you to have had so much connection with them, which is unfortunately something a lot of us didn't have. My grandparents weren't close or are not currently getting to experience because I know You are also a grandmother, right? I'm a grandmother of five children whom I love dearly. Each one is different. And I've really taken lessons from my grandmother. I am not their parent. I send them texts, something special about them. I have pictures of them. And sometimes in the morning, I'm sitting in the family room, just centering myself. I see the sun reflecting on one of the pictures. So I'll take a shot of that and send it to him. And said, the sun's shining on you today. Or I'll send a quote. I have a grandson who loves to have quotes, and I'll be sending him quotes. They're two hours away, so we don't see them on a daily basis. But we see each other about every six weeks, keep up with their activities, really have encouraged them to use their talents. I play the piano and the guitar, and I've taught my granddaughter piano and voice, and she is wonderful. The others, when they come to visit, we sing together. So try to share the talents that were important to me with them. Cooking, absolutely, learning all the different recipes. We have some traditional recipes. And my grandson and my other grandson, both on each family, absolutely love this pasca bread I make at Easter and kolache at Christmas time. And they keep saying it's not Christmas unless we have kolache and it's not Easter if we don't have pasca bread. (laughs) So I do feel really blessed that we have a closeness, even though we are not right there next to each other. Yeah. Okay. So now that we understand your connection to grandmothers and the role that you, you find yourself playing, We're really, really interested in, you know, as an older woman in your community, what are some of the ways that you are making an impact and trying to make a change? 
Well, I think one of the advantages I had was I did public health nursing in a small community of Kennett Square for 32 years. They allowed me to call it my community at the health department. They assigned certain areas to nurses. And that was a gift because I got to know the community beyond my home visits, the nonprofits, got to know the businesses, got to know the agencies, got on boards. So I became really embedded in that community. One of the things we did 25 years before I retired (laughs) was starting this process called Bridging the Community. I love to think of life as opportunities that come to us, and I was able to seize that one. I had just been told my nursing hours were going to be cut back because the budget was not good that year for the county. So I thought, well, gee, maybe I need to move into another form of nursing. And then I thought, no, I really love public health nursing. Maybe I'll just be a volunteer. And at that time, I also had been involved with this organizational development work my husband was involved in and learned that you could organize around a framework, around a holistic way of thinking. So I collected a group of people. I had some friends that helped me that were in organizational development. And we talked about what's a way to keep the community alive and well, especially because we were having some corporate headquarters come into our community. So the little small feeling was kind of going away. And we said, it's got to be something that's not a program because programs go away. It has to be just an ongoing process. It can't have any infrastructure where you have to have officers and dues and all those things. You get stuck on that. It just needs to be an open meeting. And then what are you going to focus on? So we came up with a vision statement that we said, Kenneth Square, every day, a better place to grow up in and grow old in. And we really thought of all the generations as the way to really continue to be a community. We also said, we're not going to work on problem solving. We're going to work on potential. So how do we do that? So we spent, I actually had a small dialogue group that we worked on that for a long time called Each and All Dialogue Group. And what we did is we would take an issue like the kids after school having problems that they were on the street and causing trouble. Well, that's the issue, but what's the potential? Those are kids with lots of energy that want to do things. So we started to get them involved in volunteering, and then we started these after-school programs. And I'm telling you, we have probably more after-school programs than any community, but that was the potential, was that those kids wanted something to really be invested in, a place to hang out, a place to have fun, a place to do schoolwork. So that was the way we worked on potential rather than the problem. Same thing with a street that had drug dealers, worked with a woman on the street who said she'd like to become a leader. She had never led before. And she organized. All I did was I walked with her. It was a Black community. And she rallied the forces. At first, she would just put the notices on the doors <laughs> and say there was a meeting. And I said, no, you need the personal touch. So she would then started to learn how to knock on the doors and tell them how she cared about that street and didn't want it to go under. Anyway, the bottom line is that leadership came out of bridging the community. And we got over a half a million dollars from the state and from a bank that allowed them to do a whole reorganization of that street with a police watch and a neighborhood watch and building up the homes, getting new sewage and water, and they got 
different garbage collection and everybody got facade treatments. Anyway, the bottom line was she saw she could be a leader. So that's one thing that I felt so good about at Bridging was we said everyone has a role to play. You don't have to have an office. You don't have to have a title. You can just show up and say, I need help, guys. Do you want to join me? At a Bridging meeting, we always read our vision and our principles, which I just have stated of working from potential. The one I didn't state was we come from the heart. We care about the community. It's not just a job. It's something we really want to be there. And that community comes first. Our personal genders are under the community, no infrastructure, and come from potential. So we would state those things, and then we would just ask people, what do you have to offer the community? What kind of resources do you want to share? What kind of needs do you have? And then we will break up and talk to each other and bridge And we always say at the end, we come back and share our bridges and we have a miraculous mushrooming of care that comes out of that because people will start saying, well, now I wanted to do this. I wanted to start this little small garden. Now I've got five people to help me. The mushroom farmers are going to give me the wood to build the box gardening. I have a nursery that's going to help me now. I have volunteers. I mean, it's just wonderful to see how fast something can take off when people are working together. So that's been going on for 25 years. In my retirement, I was so happy I had this and I decided I was going to continue. But I also recognized that I needed to start passing the baton because as I I die. <laughs> I want this to be a lively, ongoing process. And it's why not? So now we're just developing a wonderful website that kind of gives all the background of it. I'm inviting other people to take the leadership in organizing the meeting. We do have a webmaster that sends out emails to a large list that have attended before. Someone does take just a recording of things that happen, and that's going to be on the website. And then it could be ongoing. It's just where we got a little core team that's going to continue. When they go off, they're going to pull somebody else back on. So we're trying to sustain this through time because our belief is it's organic enough. It can happen that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. I get so nourished by it. And in my nursing work, I would bring my clients because it wasn't about just people that thought they belong to some organization. I brought my Mexican clients who didn't speak English, but we had an interpreter there. And then when they took English classes, they came and practiced their English at at Bridging. (laughs) It's been just a delight to see who's going to show up. Every time I always say there's kind of a theme of more people are talking about this and more people are talking about that this time. And we meet around the community. We meet at different locations. So we've been to churches down at the south part of town that nobody would ever go to, an African-American church. Or we might go to a mushroom farm and have a meeting there. So it's exciting that people walk into different areas of the community so that they're not stuck. So I think I've shared pretty much why that's so important to me. The Kenna Community Coffee Clatch came out of a group that I started probably in 2008. We started to say that the seniors were moving out of town, the senior citizens, they were moving into retirement communities. And we honestly feel like we need them in our town as well. We need their participation. So I've called again together people that I knew were interested, seniors as well as teens. And we talked about what were the values of the four phases of life. So we said a senior really is one that gives us wisdom. They're the ones that provide the wisdom. The adults are the ones that are fruitful. They're the ones producing something in the community through their jobs or whatever they're doing. The teen, we say, make life real. 
because they don't take any kind of propaganda. They'll tell you what they think. And we need that voice. We need that voice very much. And they also are willing to experiment. So that's all helpful to our community. And then the baby or the child gives us a sense of wholeness. It's like the next generation's moving up and now we're going to continue. So we really spent a lot of time sharing that everywhere we went. These are the four processes for the four phases of life. We had meetings for, I bet, six years, and we did a lot to try to get some senior housing in towns, low income, so people could be more a part of town. We worked with a retirement community that got them more invested in the youth, and the youth would spend time at their facility. We had a senior prom where the senior from high school went to the senior center. We looked at all the processes and people came up with new things every time. There was a one retirement community that had older people, but very, very professional people. It was called Kendall at Crosslands, a Quaker community. They wanted to teach people English, the Hispanic population. And so we just figured it out that the teachers or the materials could come there and the students could go to their retirement community. So they bridged with them. And it was wonderful to see the relationships that were developed between the Latinos and the seniors. They had so much to share and so much to learn from each other. So all that was going on. And one of the suggestions was, why don't we just have a weekly gathering called? And we had a woman that lived in New York. She says, we call them clatches. Let's have a community clatch. And I said, well, it has to be intergenerational. Can't be just seniors. So we opened it up. And this has been going on now for, I think, eight years now, (laughs) maybe nine. And it's every Wednesday. And we invite people. What happens is it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. So sometimes people can take their coffee break if they're working. The seniors obviously are available. We have different groups come and talk to us so that they know we're available to support nonprofits in the area, but also that they get to know that there's more people out there in the community that can contribute. We've had homeschooling groups come and share with us the schoolwork that we're doing. We continue to try to reach out. The pandemic, we did it on Zoom. Believe it or not, we had about 15 people that still came on Zoom and learned to use Zoom just so they could be on. But now we're back live and we're going to try to regenerate that intergenerational piece because what's happening is the senior women have really enjoyed their time together. So now we're looking at how can we continue to keep that that facet of it. I want anyone who's listening who doesn't know Kennett Square, you've mentioned mushrooms a few times. It is the mushroom capital of the world, right? There's a mushroom festival. And so mushrooms are a big part of the identity of the community that you come from. What do you think, given these interventions and the approaches that you've taken, what do you think those have done to make Kennett Square different or more special than other places that maybe we know about? I would say that Kennett Square, because it's the mushroom capital of the world, even over California, brings in a lot of migrant workers. In my times, we've gone through the Black community to the Mexicans, to the Guatemalans, and now there's even people from different South American countries working in the industry. It's a very laborious job with handpicking. So we have that diversity in our community that could really be very divisive. And the other thing is we have a lot of wealth in our community. It's probably the horse capital of the world. A lot of race horses. We have a neighboring community, Unionville, that has tremendous amount of wealth in the county. So we have this broad range, you know. So my feeling these gatherings 
are equalizers. You don't have to be anybody to come. And any new person coming into the community knows there's a place. It's newcomers multiplied by 10, where they can really feel like they've entered in and learned very quickly what's happening. I write a newspaper article every other week with a friend. We had written a book together about Kennett, and it was about our after-school programs primarily. It was called Kennett Square, Shaping Our Future One Child at a Time. So we really were promoting that our town focused on children. So I think that was one result of bridging, that we found how to build the potential, that we are a caring community, and we have a place that we can anchor. And most people equalize around children, around youth. You know, they feel no matter what the race, what the income level, they're youth. And so I think that was a good equalizer that came out of it. A place of belonging. I think if you ask me what, we all want a place to belong. In fact, that's something that I never realized how was important. I grew up in a small town and I belonged to that town and they knew our family and I knew other families. And there was a perspective that you had that you don't have when you're just living, I think, moving to an area and living in your own home with the air conditioner on, don't even know your neighbors. I think there is something with the porches <laughs> and all that stuff. So Kenneth Square has kept its history. It's a Quaker community, too, that actually is a seat of the Underground Railroad. So we have that history. And one thing I didn't mention around bridging that I think is so important, when we started, we said, what's the one thing that all of us share and beyond our income, our race, our culture? And it was the land that we're living on, the actual land. So we looked at that as an energy field, and we started to say this land The Lenape Indians settled here, and they're very in touch with the energy of the land. They were peaceful Indians. They were progressive, and they were inclusive. So we said, let's share that as our living philosophy. We're getting it from the land. It's not us saying that. It's the land telling us that. So that's been another wonderful thing. You got to find a unifier, I think, to bring people together. And it's amazing. People still want to programize things. They still want to Say, okay, well, what's the beginning, middle, and end? And how are we going to complete this? You know, and we say, no, it's ongoing. It's just show up, show up, and something will come out of that. And then you can go make a program out of it if you want to. But right now, we just want to be together, you know. And I'm telling you, the closeness that I feel with so many people in that town. I think that's interesting, this idea of not wanting to sort of ruin the organicness of it. That's it. To me, it sounds like you've created a new tradition for the town, a new ritual for the town. We don't create impact reports on whether or not we've, you know, succeeded in our rituals or succeeded in our traditions. And I think that sort of sounds like what this has become. We do not have measurable outcomes. And yet when you ask me what are the results, I would say it's probably more of a being response. I feel like I belong. I feel everyone's caring. I feel like I can get help if I need it. I feel like I can celebrate. We are a town of festivals. I'm telling you, we have probably more festivals than most towns because there's a joy about getting together in that sense. And that's where we bring forth the culture. 
I would say it's taken forever. I started my work in 82, and that's a long time ago. And I have seen the town progress. So when you talk about being an elder or being a grandmother, I feel like that's the role I'm also playing is the perspective of this is who we were and this is what we've become. These are the things we've held on to. These are the things we've let go of. And I feel like that's helpful too. It really is because new people are coming in all the time. And sometimes people that do come in impose something on a community that doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. We had one experience where that happened and it was kind of surprised me, but I could see that it didn't fit. They wanted to do all these major art displays around the town and do it quickly. And I think we do it peacefully, progressively, inclusively. We do it slowly, but then it stays. We're not the Indian that's on the edge of the cliff that does something sharp and quick and gets something done quickly. We are really kind of a reflective community, I think. But that speaks to the Quaker roots, I think. So, Joan, you know, one of the things that at the Grandmother Collective that we're really interested in exploring more of and trying to understand more deeply is the evolution of change making as you age. So it sounds to me maybe even rooted in your maybe not wild grandmother, but your grandmother with lots of zeal for life and a lot of experience that you have from a relatively young age felt a responsibility and a connection to your community. Can you speak to how that might have changed over time? Do you feel in your later years that the way you approach things has changed? Really, It has. It really has. I think, in, again, going back to an adult and being productive, I think it was very important to me to put things out that were mine, that I was being able to say, I did this. Now I'm much happier to say, may I walk with you and may you do this? Can I be your mentor? I'm really working very hard not to take on tasks because I think I've done that, been there, done that. And that is something for the younger generation to do. But I want to walk with you in a way that we can do it in a real quality way, especially if people want that support. And they do. So often people will just say, we want to do this, but we're not sure what would be effective. I've become more of a counselor or a mentor in so many arenas. Young women looking for new jobs or wanting to leave their jobs will call and ask me what I think. And they're really coming to me as a woman of wisdom. And that's been really a gift. Whereas in the past, I was being an activist, a proactive person. During the pandemic, I was on a Zoom call. We had a group that had started to form around churches that were looking at how to work together, which was great. So I had been a part of that group for a while. It was an interfaith group. They started to go on Zoom and they started to see the problem with the youth not having internet connectivity and the low-income families. So I wanted to be involved, but I did not want to be the taskmaster. I wanted to be the mentor. So I have stayed in that role. I've activated the nonprofits to get involved in being trained in internet connectivity. I got an agency to do that. And now they're training their clients on how to use their iPhones, how to use the computer. And then I'm working with another man who's working on the internet connectivity piece, and that's his forte. But I really am enjoying it because I feel like I am staying in the organizer-manager role and not in the doer role. And I really have to watch myself because sometimes I want results, so I'll jump in and do it. It's like teaching your child how to cook. You want them to do it when you think, oh my God, I could do this so much faster or easier. But I don't want to do that. So that's one aspect of it, okay? The other is I think health is a gift. 
And as you get older, I feel like I was able to follow good nutrition and good health habits because I am a nurse and I feel grateful for that background. And my health has been very good. I don't take any medications. You know, I take vitamins. But I've had a hip replacement and I did have early stage breast cancer. So those were things that showed up in the early 70s. And I had to stop and address those. However, they didn't define me. And I felt like I'm past those. I have to deal with certain follow-up appointments and things. So you have to include that and be respectful of that. But I get up in the morning and I have a lot of energy and I want to be invested in life. And I think Like I said, going back to public health, I learned that my life is about my development, my family development, and the community development. And I want to be a part of all of those. Even as a senior, I don't want to remove myself from community. If I went, and a lot of times the (laughs) retirement communities will say, I'm in a community. And I say, that isn't my definition of a community. I need to have intergenerational connections. Otherwise, I feel it's too homogeneous. It doesn't serve my need for community. And I'm really blessed to have a community be anchored to a town. When a town has the buildings and the movement that happens in a, that helps me too. So I know I have that primal need. Even if I move to a retirement community, I'm going to have to end up going to town every day (laughs) or something, being a part of the broader. Yeah. Mm. So we're hearing from a lot of women who are right at the edge of retirement or they've just become grandmothers that they aren't quite sure what their next step is. And I wonder if you might be able to share some tips or wisdom of what people might do to kind of find out what their next phase of life might look like. You know, unfortunately, I don't think our culture values or even gives any instruction to people in retirement. I think the program that I see around me is retire and go play for the rest of your life, you know, just kind of recreate. And I think recreation is wonderful. So I'm not against recreation, but if I were doing it all the time, I feel like there would be a sense of boredom and a uselessness. So when I was getting ready to retire, I was 68. I felt like I could have worked longer, but I felt like there was another phase I wanted to honor, but I wanted to give it quality. So I think having a mindset, what's the quality I want to give this last phase of life? I was lucky enough to have a friend who had a beach house that gave it to me for a week off of New Jersey. And I told everyone I wasn't going to be calling them. I wasn't going to watch TV. I wasn't going to use my computer. I was going to walk the beach every day. I was going to write. I was going to sing. I brought my guitar. And I was going to just get myself centered back into who I was. Because I do feel sometimes when you're so active, you become your activity. You lose your sense of self. This is when I also learned about centering, centering prayer, and that was so helpful to me. So I'm a doer, so I had to settle and bring some balance. So I think the last phase of life can bring balance for things that you did too much of one thing. After that week, and I did a lot of writing about what was important to me and what did I feel was still out there that I could leverage my role that I had in the community. So I knew I wanted to continue bridging. I knew I wanted to keep these open processes and coffee clatch. Actually, I started something in my church called Faith Community Nursing. I got six retired nurses to go through training. 
It's very fluid. You can go to visit whenever you want, but there are people in our church community that are elderly that need to know where they're going next. And I have a capacity to help with that because that's what I did in public health, helping people find resources. So I knew that I wanted to do that as a volunteer. And then I knew there were things on the bucket list. So I did make a bucket list. And a lot of it was travel and a lot of it was more reconnecting with some of my friends that I had not spent as much time with. So that was all important that week. And then when I came back, I just tried to be very gentle. And whenever someone would ask me to do something, I would say, I'd like to think about it. I wouldn't just say yes. And then many times I would just say, I've got a person that would really be perfect for this. That was my job was to kind of not say no, but to start making the connections for other people. And I've been doing that ongoingly. So I would say my days feel balanced now. And that took work. Personally, I had to do that. As far as the community, I feel like I just wish every senior would recognize they have such an important role, even sitting in a coffee shop. And when people come in, starting a conversation, you know, I've heard this happen in Kenneth a lot, where there's this older man that goes to Tallulah's and people come in and talk to him. He's got a whole court there. I think it's not that you have to be that formal. You can do things organically. I guess this has been my magic for me is be organic and start seeing opportunities. And then when opportunities come, manage it so it's not a job. But I think there's so much. And I think there's wisdom and power in collective. Mm -hmm. The thing I didn't mention for about 10 years, I helped put on workshops for women. It was called Combining Work and Life Decisions. It was when corporate women felt like they had to be men to be able to be successful. And we talked about the value of the feminine processes, that we need them along with the masculine processes in our culture. I learned a lot about myself in that process. I really did. So that was helpful. I had that personal development work that I did when I helped other women in corporations to do that. So I guess it's really important that you're feeling at peace and centered before you can live this level of peace. You know, when you've got a program telling you what to do every day, a prescribed job, you really don't have to figure out who you are, really. I mean, you can just kind of follow it. Whereas in retirement, you really do have to figure out who you are and what are your gifts and where you find joy and where's peace and how do I engage that? And every person I think is different in that, but not to underestimate that we have something to give. And your idea of the grandmother, I love because grandchildren are a joy. They're just absolute joy. And I know that they can have their problems, but they're not yours. You can just be empathetic and you can be the ears that listen. Yeah. As you're talking about the female leadership, that you learned about that as you did those trainings, I think part of what we're really after at the Grandmother Collective, and I think this is sort of a part of a larger understanding that female management, female leadership has always been there and we've ignored it or it goes unseen. And, you know, to put a spotlight on the uniqueness that comes with female leadership is something that we're really after. Well, what was really fun, we worked for NASA Space Flight Center. Honestly, we were working with some pretty high-powered people working with the spaceship. And we had a women advisory group. They called themselves WAC. And they formed, when we did individual workshops, they realized they needed to be a collective. So a collective is important. They came up with core values for the organization that reflected not only masculine, not productivity only, but caring, respect, they brought in all these other 
values that to me would become more from that feminine side. And it was delightful to see them present this to the whole organization, you know, because all of a sudden, this one man, when we worked with the emotional center, he says, I leave my emotions at the door when I leave home. So I'm just a thinker. I'm not an emotional person too, you know. So anyway, we had so much fun just breaking into that culture and starting to open up the potential and then seeing what happened with some of the men. Oh my goodness. Because we did the women's workshop, but then we were asked to do team leading with men and women and had the women take some leadership that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. And so what happened to the men? I would say they softened. They softened and they were so relieved. They were so relieved that they didn't have to leave their heart at the door. When they came to work, I would say some poo-pooed it, obviously. We didn't have a perfect, but it was a wonderful break into what has been too prominent. Yeah. Okay. So my final question then, still related to this, is how do you yourself approach grandmothering? Here you have five grandchildren. You've shared with us that you text them and you think of them. But if you think of grandmothering as a verb, what does it mean? I think it's called affirming the essence of each child. And I feel like I spent a lot of time just thinking of what is their essence, not even their little personality, but what's at the core for that person? And how can I reflect that to them in my interactions with them? And how can I help develop that? So that's been a real gift because they're all unique. They're each so fun. My son was such an adventuresome son, and I always had to pull him back, you know, because he was going to kill himself most of the time, you know. And he has a son who's so cautious. So funny. But that's Nate. And so there's something in him that is very pure that Nate has. And I want to honor that and not feel like he has to be like David. And I don't know if that answers your question. It does. We think grandmothering, the verb to grandmother, is something, a skill that applied to the world, which I think you do. You apply to your community work. You apply to your, your bridging work. To me, it makes sense that you're honoring the essence of your community. You're honoring the essence of each member and really trying to make sure that everyone thrives as individuals in a collective. In a collective. That to me is where life is at its best. It really is. I would say I'm probably happier than I've ever been in my life, which is really a great place to be. I mean, a sense of inner happiness, inner joy. Well, Joan, thank you for taking the time with us today to share about your change-making journey and give us some insights into how we might all think about collectively strengthening the communities that we live in. Thank you so much. We do have a role to play. We do. Thank you so much, Lindsay.